1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally stocks higher on this final trading day of June. After another inflation read is music to the bull's ears. We'll discuss and debate what all of this means for stocks and your money in the second half of the year. Joining me right here, Post 9 today, Liz Young, Jim Labenthal, Brent Talkington, and Steve Weiss. We'll show you what we're doing now in the markets. We are green across the board. There's the Dow good for just about 220. S&P 500, better than 1%. NASDAQ's the big winner. S&P's best first half since 19. NASDAQ's best first half since 83. So we got a lot to work with. Apple's above 3 trillion as we come on the air. Inflation continues to fall. I'm so glad that we have Labenthal and Weiss on together on this final trading day of the first half because your views That's have been us, so diametrically opposed in this first half of the year. And I'm going to give the ball to Jim first. I think he deserves it um, on what you think lies ahead. Not, not that your positioning was so perfect, yeah. but your call has been good.
2: So now St- what? Uh, so I'm sticking with the call. Um, I want to say something really quickly. I mean, Steve's got a different opinion, but it's not like he's an idiot. It's not. I mean, he, there's rationality to the thesis of 500 basis points of rate hikes should have a dramatic effect. There's rationality to the idea that the yield curve is a predictor. However, there are other perspectives. And my perspective, Scott and viewers, is, has always come from the point of view of what the companies are saying doesn't mean they're always right but right now companies pretty much across the board are saying things look good maybe not so much in retail but think about what the airlines are saying think about what casinos are saying think about what steel companies like newcorp re announced you know a couple of, a couple of weeks ago um, the companies see a more positive outlook scott than the macroeconomists and you see that in estimates from the top down for s&p 500 earnings which continue to find new lows well, if you go into individual stock estimates, like General Motors, like Alaska Airlines, I won't do all of them, like Cleveland Cliffs, right? Mm-hmm. Those keep going up. That disconnect, okay, Scott, this is the most important part, that disconnect between top-down and bottom-up gets resolved with second-quarter earnings. One's proven right, and one's proven wrong. I'm going with the companies. I'm staying with my cyclicals.
1: Okay, so Weiss, I, I give you the ball next, mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's the right way to go here. Um, what do you think you you missed here in the first half, and are you at the point now of looking at a a different trend in the market and thinking that it's time to change your overall view?
3: Look, what I missed were six things. Um, Apple, Nvidia, Microsoft, Meta, and uh, Amazon, I guess. Sure, but you thought the economy would be worse off than it is today.
1: You thought the consumer would probably be worse off than it is today. You thought Uh, that the market certainly wouldn't be where it
2: is
3: today. No, that's absolutely true. But again, as I said the other day, the average stock maybe it's up a little more, but when I spoke the other day, it was up about three percent. It's
2: up six percent. I think okay. we'll wait S and P five hundred. Yeah.
3: So, uh, so I, I didn't miss much in terms of the broad market. Now with those stocks, I do own Microsoft. I do own Amazon. Um, Microsoft's actually my largest position. So what I missed is that it's a new generation of investors, and that's really what it comes down to. Um, that just uh, you know this time is different. I think every time's different. I don't think. You know, it's never any different. I never bought into that. The facts are always different. Maybe the conclusion is long enough time is different. But this time, it's all different. Is
1: your, is your view then different now for the second half because of yeah, all that? I think it is.
3: I think it is because, um, and, and I'm picking up things here and there, um, but he, here's why. I mean, Powell came out. Market doesn't care. You know, EU came out. Market doesn't care. Rates are where they are. Market just doesn't care. Maybe that's the right thing to do since markets go up all the time with the exception of that brief period of time where they don't, sometimes longer than brief, but but yeah, so, uh, so it does change my view. I still think that we're going towards a recession, uh, and the better we do on days like today uh, and seeing GBT, GDP go up and as long as the labor market stays resilient and inflation stays sticky, The bulls are going to see the glass half-filled no matter what. I mean, look, the CNBC Delivering Alpha Investor Survey
1: on the markets right now, do you believe we're either in a new bull market or a bear market rally? Liz Young, 61% told us they think we've entered a new bull market. So there are a lot more believers, so to speak, today than there have been over the last many months. Mm -hmm. They, They sense that there's been a trend change and it's meaningful and it could be lasting. You've been of the more cautious and negative over the first six months, what about now?
4: there has been a trend change and it has been meaningful and just looking at those numbers alone there's obvious movement from people who were bears over to the bull side so there's been some of the capitulation as well that we've sort of waited for for a long time not entirely yet I think the biggest thing that has been different and one of the things that maybe I got wrong in the first half was the use of the word should right you look at The way that the economy should react, the way that the market should react to higher rates and to less liquidity and to fears over weakening leading economic indicators which are have completely tanked and and stayed low. All of the things that should be signals including yield curve inversions just have really not been and the reaction function of the market has been different. I'm not sure that it's going to stay different. I think it's been much longer and it's been more drawn out because we sort of underestimated maybe the force of stimulus that was still there, the force of demand that was still there, and even just the appetite of consumers to continue buying, whether that's on credit card debt or with cash that they still seem to have laying around. I think the reaction function is longer, the use of the, what should happen mm-hmm. has changed and it's changed people's minds. And look, I wish that I would have not missed right the six stocks as well and, and the rally in tech. It's interesting to me that investors shifted from, you know, if yields are down, tech is good. now it's if yields are up, tech is good. They can't both be right. So the valuations at some point do have to be right-sized. That doesn't mean that it has to crash completely. Maybe just but the relationship that we
1: tried to put together between rates and tech was mis- misplaced from the get-go and that one would have such a direct cause and effect on the other. I know, sure. if, you know, Mike Santoli has sort of scoffed at the notion that you have to have such a distinct relationship, you know, higher rates, bad for tech, lower rates, good for tech. Maybe maybe that was wrong in and of itself, thinking that there had to be such a correlation. And here we are. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, even with rates, you know, okay, rates are up, tech's been dominating, and there's no reason some would suggest that it wouldn't continue to do that, even if rates stay where they are.
4: Well, I I think it was about the duration of the assets, right? And that goes for stocks and bonds. So if you look at tech and growth assets as long duration assets, as rates rise, they should be under pressure from a valuation perspective. Now what's happening is we've got long duration assets that are sort of glomming onto a new outlook, a long duration outlook that is AI related, growth related, shift in the economy related. And that's sort of justifying the expansion in these multiples I still think if we enter a period, if we stay in a period where rates are higher for longer and the Fed does not come off the hiking gas, there has to be pressure on valuations. Just generally speaking, because of all the money that's flowed in there, it doesn't make sense for forward returns. If mm-hmm. you look at PEs, right, it doesn't suggest uh, attractive returns for the next 5 to 10 years.
1: So Bryn, would you find yourself in the 61% who say new bull market or the 39 that says bear market rally? Well,
5: I had two choices. So I put the 61% that this is a, a bull market. and so. But I think that the further away we get from those lows, the really harder it is to say, and the longer it takes, to say, oh, yeah, we're going to go retest the lows. And I think that you could have this exogenous event. Because if you look historically, we are now in a low vol market. Last year was high vol. We are now in a low vol market. And if you go back through history, low vol markets typically stay low vol until you actually have an exogenous event. So I think we're gonna to continue to have low volatility until some event that we can't predict happens, so let's say for the rest of the year. And I also think what happened though is, did ChatGPT come out in November of last year? It was like late last year that it came out. And I think that between ChatGPT, which was just such great marketing, by the way, to take this like nebulous concept called Alter AI, and to actually give us an ability to use it was just like masterful in marketing and just like jumped over Google's 10 years of, of that. Between that and this soft landing narrative or this delayed recession, that has just revived animal spirits. But ultimately, ultimately, I think as the two year creeps, creeps back up to 5%, we'll see if that matters or not, because I think as the economy continues to be strong, I do think rates matter. And yeah, it doesn't matter to Apple or Microsoft because they can still issue it like probably well under Fed funds, Mm -hmm. but it matters to the market as a whole. So I'm
1: glad you mentioned Fed funds, Weiss, because, you know, there's been this battle between the market and the Fed where the Fed funds futures had been continuously pricing in cuts for 2023, despite the fact that the Fed was saying, bad chance of that, it's not happening. Well, you know what's happened? Fed funds futures have moved to the Fed because there are no rate cuts now priced in for 2023. No cuts at all priced in for 2023. And yet the market, the stock market, so as Fed funds futures have moved closer to the Fed, the stock market has had an ability to say, okay, we can deal for the moment with no cuts and we can keep the trend intact. Does that
3: make sense? I mean, that's what's happening, right? And this so, may be the
1: very first time, by the way, that Fed Funds Futures have been pricing in no yeah. cuts for 23. Look,
3: it was idiotic. I mean, I, I can't express how much you know disdain I have for that thought process that the Fed was going to turn around cut rates while they're still saying we're going to raise rates. I mean, and what planet were those people living on? And there are a lot of people. It's a highly populated planet. I don't think there'll be rate cuts until that you get inflation back to a normal level you're going to continue to be in a restrictive, or well in the way. You take a look at today's inflation number. It showed some progress. Well, it was the lot.
1: lowest annualized PC in two years. Now, right, but it was with the core, consensus. Well, the core is still elevated, right? And that's what the Fed looks still very looks elevated. At. I know, I know. Um, and that's what the Fed looks at. It was still a slight beat. The fact of the matter is the picture on inflation is different today than it was, you know, six months ago, enough right. so that the market is placing its bets that it's going to continue to drop And the Fed's not going to have to do as much as Jay Powell continues to say,
3: as he did this week again in Portugal. But the narrative continues to be it doesn't matter what the Fed does because companies are so healthy. And particularly those companies, it doesn't matter because they've got such growth tailwinds at their back. Well, I'll tell you another really interesting thing from this DA survey that we did,
1: Liz, is that the best returns for the remainder of 23 short-term treasuries which you've you've liked for a while mm-hmm. at 26%. Well, you know what's even with that? The S&P 500. Mm-hmm. What I think is fascinating about that is that people who voted for the first time, I think, see competition between stocks and and bonds working in perhaps stocks' favor again. Whereas yeah. for the last year or so, it's been, well, why would I risk? Why would I take the risk in equities when I can get a better reward with less risk in the bond market through treasuries or through money markets. Whereas now it's a bit of equilibrium for the first time, I think, in a while. And maybe that trend starts to still go even further into equity's favor.
4: It 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 could. It certainly could. And and look, let's be clear, you don't have to only own one or the other. You can own both. You can have short term treasuries and you can have the S&P. the the assumption in that case if you're voting that both are going to go up and both are going to do well for the rest of the year the assumption has to be something along the lines of, OK, the Fed has paused, which means that we're closer to the end of it than the beginning of it, which will release some of the pressure and perhaps the two years slowly drifts lower as we get to the point where we start to hear from them that they're going to cut at some point or that they're satisfied with where inflation is. I think that's decently possible through the second half of 2023, that we see it come lower by the end of the year because the Fed has slowed down. You also, though, have to assume that the S&P is going to have this semi-linear path upward as rates have a linear path downward and that it's all going to happen very smoothly. The optimistic case is that the Fed can normalize rates back down while inflation continues to come down and that we just sort of whistle along and re steepen the yield curve with no catastrophic effect. That's the difficult part that I cannot quite wrap my head around.
1: I'll tell you what, Brynn, J.P. Morgan ditching their bullish tactical view on treasuries. It just goes to this point that is this the beginning of a coming wave of a move away from treasuries and seeing that the equity market can deliver you better returns over the remainder of the year and beyond. And you know you can live with whatever risk you're taking because you think the economic environment is sturdy enough that it's gonna support that move.
5: So a steepening yield curve is like you wouldn't wanna be on the long end of the yield curve if you're steepening. But what a steepening yield curve tells you is that the economy is expanding and GDP is growing. GDP is falling. And so understand this GDP report was revised higher, but it's still lower from, we were at 3% in September, 3.2, and then like 2.6, and now at two. So the revision higher sounds like it's getting better, but the path of GDP is lower. So I think that the call is a terms to, we've been in cash and T-bills ever since we started to get a forehandle. we'll say, on Rates because that's a wonderful return after 13 years of zero returns. I still don't think bonds are a good alternative because first of all, the the 3.80 you get on the 10-year is taxable. That's you know that that is not a. I would rather take the risk of equities over the long term than a 10-year locked-in 3.8%. That to me is a way to grow poor safely. And so I still think equities over bonds, but I think cash over bonds as well. And that's where I think you're seeing allocation. Changes. But I mean, we've
1: been largely, I think, in a, you know, there, there are many who've been in a return of rather than a return on capital environment for the better part of the last, you know, at least 12 months. And at some time, that dynamic wise is going to change. There's going to be a paradigm shift in the way that people view the, the level of risk they're taking and what the reward on the other side of that is.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's any thought process going on there right now in terms of what the risk-reward is. All they see is the reward, and the market's just saying, keep pouring it into risk assets, you know, on the curve. I do own a lot of two-year, six months of rolling over. I own 5.7% golden paper, 5.4% Wells Fargo paper. That's phenomenal return, and some of that's owned in non-taxable accounts, so that's tremendous. But look, it, it, this market's going to keep going till it doesn't. There's no other way to put it. And the question—you well, better is, get on
1: the train, Weiss, before you get off the station somewhere. For the you, rest you of know, the—you know—you keep uh, talking. About, look, year. I've never
3: been short the market, Wait, You've been. More, come on,
1: I know some of your positioning, but you have been consistently negative, negative. and for the most part, I'm not denying it, Scott. There's no argument coming but from here. But I mean, you, you can't come back and say, "Well, I own, you know, Microsoft, Why and can't I own this." I? I mean, Why can't you, been I? A, I own Microsoft. You've been a, I know, but you've been a
3: hater
2: of I the market. I own mar- Amazon. You've been a hater of the market. Can I make this? I'm Scott, sorry. you got to understand. So, it, hold on, Jim. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Hold on Go sir. ahead, Weiss. life. us.
3: Real life, okay. real life okay. money manager. Please. Okay. You've got to take a look at the set, the opportunity set that's out there. And when you've been doing it for as long as I've been doing it, you develop a discipline and you stick with your discipline. If you don't, you're not doing it as long as I've been doing it. So that's what I do. So could I be wrong? Yeah, sure. But my job is to preserve capital. That's what I do really, really well. So I can take some risk and I'll take the risk, but to me it's got to be intelligent risk. The risk being taken in this market with Fed going 10 months, Going more than a year raising rates was not intelligent risk. It worked out, it doesn't mean it's going to continue to work out. I'm not alone.
1: No, you're you're not alone. There are a lot of people who missed what's happened in the market.
2: I, l- great discussion, all right? You know where I live. I try to simplify it down. The market looks forward six to nine months. You and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and you pointed out some news article where it was said, hey, October was your bear market. October was your anticipation of the recession. And I think that's exactly what happened. Now, we could still get the recession. Steve, you could be right, okay? You could get a short, shallow recession, second half of this year, that was anticipated in October of last year. If that's the case, by the way, nothing controversial about the market looking forward six to 12 months. If that's the case, though, you, know, you look at quarterly estimates for the S&P 500. They go up, 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 up sequentially by quarter. The market's looking at 2024. Well, it likes what it sees. Well, when
1: we're looking over the next you know six months of 23, Liz, do we think that what worked in the first half is going to work in the second half? Is it going to be tech and then everything else? Or is it going to be a bit of a reversion and you're going to have some pickup from the laggard, some of the cyclical areas as they're Maybe is more confidence in the economy.
4: Uh, I'll answer that in one word: No. I don't think it's going to be the same leaders. That's a dangerous answer because I know people are going to remind me of it if I'm wrong. However, I think what's happened, as you've seen, the capitulation of bears move over into the bull category is that you come into it at a point where tech has already seen a pretty decent rally. We've got valuations at levels that don't look attractive as an entry point so if you've been out of the market and you're looking to redeploy cash that's where I think some of the broadening of this rally has come from if people are worried that they're going to miss a new bull market they redeploy their cash into places that hasn't haven't participated as much and that are more attractively valued if that continues and as long as that continues the broadening probably continues as well and bring some of the other things that haven't participated more into the forefront.
1: What do we think? I mean, is utilities and energy the two worst sectors to this point? Tech is a runaway winner, as we know.
5: Financials, energy and utilities. But I think to Liz's point, I think over the next three months, we're going to get a catch up trade. I think looking out past that gets kind of murky for I'm not gonna say cyclicals, all cyclicals, but certain ones, because certain like small caps, small caps have had a ton of conversation. I think over the next- They have
1: had a lot lately, especially. I I keep hearing more picks of small caps, including from Goldman, I think in the last week.
5: So I think if you look at IWM, which is just the Russell 2000, like 180 is really good good support. It bounced off that. I think IWM could go to like 195, 199, which is the top. But you need, I mean, Russell 2000 is extremely interest rate sensitive. Um, a third of the Russell 2000 is not profitable. You also have to have an expanding GDP, not contracting. And so I think you're going to get a catch-up trade over the next few months in small cap. After that, I think you probably peter out there. Because I do think the GDP will continue to slow. I think interest rates are going to stay at this 5 to 5.5%. Five so we're going to have a 1% GDP by the end of the year, I think, mm. 5% five or 6% Fed funds. That's not a great environment for... Um, small caps and other certain cyclicals, certain cyclicals.
1: Yeah. Weiss, I think this is one of the most difficult questions for investors today to entertain. If they, if they think that this rally is, is going to continue, do they ride the winners or do they think that there's going to be a, a catch-up trade from, from some of the laggards?
3: What, what are you sort of thinking I about? I think you ride you, the winners. I think you r- ride the winners. So you don't think there's going to be now, a catch-up? I mean, what's the difference if, you know, if a stock's selling at 50, a 50 P.E. or a 60 or 70 P.E.? Right? You've already said, I don't think they get off because now, all of a sudden, it's really overvalued. It's gone from overvalued to really. So I think you ride the winner.
1: But let's say if you think, you know, based on the, the answer on that delivering alpha question of what's going to work, you know, short-term treasuries or, or equities, if you have money coming out of money markets and money coming out of bonds to go into stocks, does it find a home in the laggards or does it find a home in the winners?
3: Uh, I think three quarters in the winner and one quarter in the laggards. You know, I think some goes a Look, I'm looking and I actually bought very, very small because I'm doing work on, it's going to motivate me, Jacobs. You know, Jacobs is just, they're breaking the company in two. That won't happen until second half of 24. But, you know, I do believe, and you see it everywhere in the news headlines tell you every single day, you're going to be more and more onshore. Letter J, is that, the, is that That's the ticker? That's letter J. Okay. And, um, you know, so they're engineering, they're sustainability. They're what you need when you're putting up a new facility, you need them. And they'll break the business into two, they announced it, one basically government contracting and the other consulting. So I think it's a good story. It's not, it, it's not terribly cheap, but it's cheap, cheap enough, right? And it's a steady, steady business. So the business there, you know, it'll be one, one part of the business is doing 10.5 billion, that's the consulting. The other's doing about four and a half. So I think it's a solid name from here. So, you know, that's where I'm looking for part of the portfolio.
1: What do you, what do you think about that, that question, the very question itself of winners or, I mean, you, you I'm sure, you know are answer, hoping. Well, you're hoping yeah. that well, the laggards have a better second half than they had in the first. But are you convinced that they will? And do you think that if that money does come in from the other places, it'll find a home there? Or if it'll go, as Weiss said, you know, two thirds into what's what's worked for you? So, Not you, yeah, but them. Yeah, no, 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 I know. got
2: I got it. Um, you know my answer, but for the record I'll say I am sticking with the overweight to cyclicals, and I do think small caps are gonna do well. But there's you know there's a couple of things that that I center on here. One is this economy just is stronger than people expected, right? Think about three months ago when Silicon Valley was, was imploding and everybody said, here it comes. Remember how much we were talking about the sluice, right? Now we're not even talking about it. It just, it didn't happen. There's no reason to go back and say why it didn't happen. It didn't happen. This economy is a lot stronger than people expect. That's going to show up in the earnings for the cyclicals. Here's the other thing, and if this is my last point and I, and I you know, go into retirement on this, follow the cash flow. Follow the cash flow. These energy companies, these material companies, these financial companies. Okay, that's
1: why have people people have been following the cash flow, and they've been following good balance sheets, and and that's why they've been going into mega cap tech. I I am gonna.
2: I, I, does everybody you, see his <laughs> smile? Does everybody <laughs> well, see? Well, I mean, smile? you said follow the let cash me, flow. Let me let me finish the point because so I they've think, been doing. I, they, I I know, but this is important. Okay, you look at these material companies, you look at these energy financial companies. They are buying back shares at in a lot of cases, well below book value. General Motors, Cleveland Cliffs, Citigroup. Now, look, that does Apple doesn't...
1: buys a lot of shares, too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: $3 trillion I, I, today. I, I think I've made my Let's point.
1: Let's see if it closes I above that I've for made... the first time th- ever.
2: Do you think I've made my point, despite your best efforts?
1: I mean, if you're convinced you made your point. <laughs> Bryn, be my guest. Audience of one. Bryn, help me. Exactly. (laughs) Feel good about your point. That's great. All right. We'll take a quick break. Coming back, our chart of the day. Apple, as we just said, $3 trillion market cap today. It's the second time it's done it on an intraday basis. Yet to close there. We'll see if it can today. We'll dive into that record move next. We're back in two minutes. of the day, Nike, those shares are lower, the first earnings miss in some three years. Stephanie Link owns it, joins us now on the phone. So, Steph, we had a conversation ahead of the number in which you told me, and I think you said something to the effect of, I'm worried. I'm worried (laughs) going in. I guess you had good reason, too.
0: Well, I think the quarter, Scott, was there was something for the bulls and something for the bears, right? So on the bullish side, total revenue beat expectations and grew 8% on a constant currency basis led by China, up 25 percent. And that's versus up 1 percent last quarter in China. North America was up 5, EMEA up 7, and direct up 18. So the demand side is not the problem. Uh, Inventories also came in better than expected at flat versus up 16 percent last quarter. And if you look down and, and drill down into North America and China, the inventories were down high single digits. So that's the bull side. On the bear side, the bears don't like the S G N A that was higher, the gross margins that are slightly lower, and wholesale only up two percent. I just don't think the quarter was thesis changing for either side. And as a bull, I'm a long term bull. I have no problem with S G N A and gross margins. I think you have to be patient because input costs are coming down, freight costs are coming down, and they have pricing price increases. And so. Throughout fiscal twenty four, I think you're gonna see a recovery in gross margins and you're gonna see operating leverage as a result. And the guidance for two hundred basis points of expansion for gross margins for the full year I think is pretty encouraging. So, so yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> but, yeah, but I I, mean, I was I gonna ask you on.
1: I was gonna ask you what your tolerance level is uh, here to stick with it. But it sounds like you're you have at least enough resolve for the for the time being to do that.
0: Yeah, especially the China play. I mean, the China numbers were really pretty good. If you look at the direct up 19 percent and digital was down 12, that tells you that people want to get out and about. So, you know, I've been a bull on China reopening. And I think that uh, that's just beginning.
1: All right. Steph, I appreciate it. Thank you. Stephanie Thanks, Link. God. All right. Enjoy the fourth. You have a good holiday. And we'll see you on the other side of that. You're you're looking at Nike, aren't you, Jim?
2: I have owned Nike off and on for over 30 years. Uh, sorry that I'm that old, folks. But uh, I have had great success buying this at a Ford multiple of 24 to 25, great success. I won't wait for it to get cheaper than that. If it got cheaper than that, it would get, it would have a problem. I think that what you're going to see is estimates coming down, right, on this sort of news. They're, they've already been coming down. The multiple's probably going to follow it. But if I can get this 10% cheaper, that's where I want it. And I, it's going to be too tempting to pass up 10% cheaper. All
1: right, you let us know. Yep. Uh, Thank you for that. All right, let's get the headlines now with Christina Partzinevelos. Hi, Christina.
6: Hi, Scott. Law enforcement officials tell NBC News a man who participated in the January 6th riot at the Capitol was arrested Thursday near the Obama's home in D.C. Tyler Taranto, who is facing a lawsuit from the widow of a Washington police officer who died by suicide following the insurrection, claims on social media that he's been living in a van nearby in D.C. NBC News found Taranto's last social media post was was actually a link to a website touting conspiracy. About the Obama's home. It is not immediately clear when he might appear in court. Congressman George Santos is appearing in court today for the first time since pleading not guilty last month to a 13 count indictment. He's charged with fraud, money laundering, and theft of public funds. He arrived just moments ago for his status conference hearing in a court on Long Island a new space telescope will launch saturday that hopes to shine a light on the depths of the universe the european space agency says euclid will scan around 35 percent of the entire sky over the next six years and provide the largest and most accurate 3d map of the universe to date scott
1: All right, christina thank you christina partzinevel up next a mid-year check on our halftime stock summit that continues we'll see how brin's picks are doing plus liz gives her top ideas for the second half And tonight, 6 Eastern, do not miss a special edition of Tech Check with Deirdre Bosa. That is right here on CNBC. We're back right here on The Half and Two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. Welcome back. Let's do more of our uh, Stock Summit Mid-Year Check. Brynn, I'm going to go to you first, Okay? Yep. Uh, The JEPI, JP Morgan Equity Premium Income, the Pacer U.S. Cash Cows ETF, better known as the Cows, C-O-W-Z, the Innovator U.S. Equity Power Buffer ETF, the PJAN, and Healthcare. Not great performance other than the PGAN, which hit a new high today. It's up 11% year to date. So what do we do now? Do you stay with these? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah, so let's, this has been a great conversation today to set up for me to talk about these because sitting there in January, I was actually with Jim and Rob doing the sector picks um, in January, and a lot of the stuff Steve, Steve said earlier is true. There was such a wide range of outcomes, fastest Fed hikes, steepest, I think, almost in history. But we as an asset allocator, we run private client money, want to keep investors in their seats long enough to earn the returns of the asset classes they're invested in. We don't want to try to time the market. And so how can we keep them invested while we have all of these uncertainties? And so I'll start with Jeppy. We, um, we change our allocation to JEPI over time. It's a pretty big weighting. In 2022, JEPI was down 3.5%, the Barclays Ag was down 13%, and the S&P was down 18%. Uh, Year-to-date, it's at 5%, so you, you have a give-and-take there. I will say one thing about Jeppy that, that we know this as an investor, they have a hard cap of only owning 17.5% of any sector. So just know if you buy that, you're naturally going to have about half the sector, technology sector exposure than just the plain S&P. So with income as the outcome, that strategy continues to deliver as advertised. I think if the market just keeps going higher with the yield it's playing from selling calls, you probably end up at like 8 to 10%.
1: What about the cows? Cows. So
5: so what Jim forgot to say on his free cash flow. I didn't have a
2: chance to say.
1: was one
5: word. (laughs) Yield. And so if you go back over decades and you could pick one metric, just one metric to buy a stock, the one metric that has given you the best performance is free cash flow yield. It's basically the free cash flow divided by the enterprise value. So as you said, Apple and Microsoft have all this free cash. The free cash flow yield is tiny, actually. And so where you get with cash cows right now, the biggest sector is, guess what? 35% is energy. So that is like where we are taking risk. Like where we have a huge cyclical exposure is within that energy trade, mm-hmm. and that owns that there. So it's underperformed clearly this year. But over time, we just love, and they rebalance quarterly. So if something were to occur within energy, then that, that free cash flow yield didn't, didn't meet up to what it was the quarter before, then you know what, it, it moves on.
1: Do, you, do you, and, you like healthcare still? Do you think you do. it's gonna have a better second half? And if so, why?
5: I hope so. And so, you know, free healthcare, my, my reason for picking healthcare last year, is i felt we were late cycle i still think we're late cycle and going through late cycle consumer staples and utilities were really expensive and so i felt of the three healthcare tends to do the one of the best versus the other those other two aside versus other sectors and so i wanted to own that healthcare exposure it's underperformed this year for multiple reasons but absolutely i i think that this will have a next a second better half of the year. If not, I think it will have a good 2024 because there's so many great companies in that ETF.
1: Okay, Liz, I-, I turn to you for your top ideas for the second half, and energy's on the list.
4: Sure is. Uh, I- I'll respond to Bryn's last comment about healthcare too. I know that's not on the list that we're going to pull up for tickers, but. Healthcare was my final trade the last time I was on halftime for many of the same reasons. It's been a laggard, but when the VIX is this low, you want to make sure that you have some allocation to something that's defensive and it's difficult to talk yourself into staples and utilities at these levels. So healthcare is a good option on the other side of that. I do like energy for the second half. It has been a serious laggard in the first half, but remember its standout performance last year of 60% in a year when basically everything else was down. So a little give back in the first half sort of makes sense. I think that there is a floor on the price of oil, and that will support the stocks. And given where valuations are and their lackluster performance so far in the first half of the year, and the continuing consumer demand for travel, it supports the objective that Not only can oil stay supported, but energy stocks have room to move up.
1: You like the equal weight S&P, the RSP. That's the ETF that tracks that up 6% year to date.
4: I do, which is kind of a veiled attempt for me to say that I still like small caps. And anybody who listens to me often thinks that I always like small caps. But this is a way to, if we have a rotation out of the really top heavy parts of the market, to still be invested in the market, if it is in fact a new bull, but give yourself some of the allocation to the stuff that might participate if, if and when people continue to pull money from the sidelines and go into the things that have not yet kept up with those top six or seven names.
1: All right. We will take another quick break. We come back with Mike Santoli and his Midday Word. That is next right here. back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now for his midday word. Your name came up earlier in our conversation about tech and if it's going to still work in the second half. And this relationship that many have talked about for the last many, many months about higher interest rates, long duration assets and how they can't work in that environment. Well, rates have been elevated And tech has worked real well.
7: Yeah, rates have been uh, elevated, uh, range bound at those relatively high levels. But also, uh, the market has removed anticipated rate cuts from the, the second half of this year. And still, something else clearly is driving tech. So the entire time, I was always of the it's one factor, not the big swing factor uh, in these stocks. They had a massive valuation reset last year, but also their earnings forecast crashed for 2022, and they've mostly been on the rebound since then. So I think the overall market, uh, 4,400 on the S&P, we were here two weeks ago. Since then, we had this really modest dip. Very, very orderly. Uh, We're now less overbought than we were two weeks ago at the same level. The average stock has outperformed. It all makes the tape action itself seem pretty unassailable. Um, It's still uncomfortable, though, when you see the biggest stocks in the world by market cap. Going up in this lockstep 45 degree fashion every day. Clearly, this we're at the recognition moment uh, of this bull market type action, and and maybe we're not quite at overconfidence levels, but everyone thinks we have this seasonal window for further upside. Uh, and so, you know, the uh, the the, uh, the this, this SAP is rising, as I said yesterday, in terms of speculative uh, animal spirits. But we're not really at a point to me where there's going to be a break point in that, even though valuation is again getting a little bit stretched.
1: The tough call, I think, or certainly one of them near the, high, the, the top of the list is if you're growing more bullish on the market, do you put money in the laggards or do you ride the winners? And I think that's going to be an interesting yeah. question as we make the turn.
7: It is, without a doubt. Now there has been money flowing into uh, to the laggards, at least more than there had been. I mentioned before, there are twice as many stocks in the S&P up 10% this year than down 10%. So it's been a little more inclusive. But uh, yeah, big question. And it's much more macro uh, dependent, that broadening trade.
1: All right. I'll see you in a little bit on closing bell, Mike. Thank you, Mike Santoli. Great. My trade is next. First, though, a quick message as CNBC celebrates Pride Month. I truly believe corporate America can play a great role in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's so much you can do as a company to create an inclusive environment so that individuals from the LGBT community can be their authentic selves. I was always looking for mentors to get encouragement of being your authentic self at work and to unleash the power that you all have to drive better innovation, drive better outcomes, and be better problem solvers. It is time for Grade My Trade. Bryn, you're up first. From Gary, bought Tesla mid-May 180 along with selling a September 200 call. Stock ran up quicker than planned. What should I do?
5: Well, I'll give you an A, first of all, because you made money. So what what I would do is when you originally underwrote the trade, you were happy with the return profile you were going to get. When you sell calls, you must be willing to get rid of that name you're selling a call against. So I did some quick quick math. I think you probably got $20 of premium for selling that September 200. So you made around 11% on that. You're about 11% up on the stock. I would never buy back those calls at a loss because all of a sudden you're under, re-underwriting it and you think that Tesla's going to continue to go higher. I would just let the call expire, let the call get stopped, the, co- the company get called away, and then revisit it next.
1: All right. Good stuff. Uh, Liz, to you from Wayne. Would you consider gold a longer-term investment versus a trade? given its recent breakdown. What do you think?
4: Hi, Wayne. So I would consider this a longer-term investment during this cycle, and I think the recent breakdown is actually an opportunity to add here. A lot of investors got into gold before or during March out of fear of recession and out of a weakening dollar. So if you expect that the dollar continues to weaken and that we're not quite out of the woods of thinking that there might be a recession on the horizon, Gold is still a good opportunity, and I would keep an eye on it. I don't think it's time to sell in a downturn.
1: All right, Jimmy from
2: Jerry. Boeing bought it at 161. Should I sell or should I hold? So, Jerry, uh, great purchase here. You're up about 30%. I think you've got another 30% at least. I like your purchase price. I was purchasing it a lot last year. Uh, You may remember that. My colleague over here, Mr. Weiss, was shorting it on air as I was buying it. I don't know if you remember that, Steve. I do. Uh, But uh, be with me. (laughs) Be with me on this Weiss-Jimmy battle. Wow,
3: another 30%? Weiss? yeah. You I'm have a retort.
2: Forward, you know, I'm going to help you celebrate when you get even on that position. <laughs> I am. I am even. I've got three quarters in my position under 200 because when you believe in something and it goes down, you load up the boat. You got orders coming in. You, you got back up the tractor. Up. Come on.
3: No, but he's, he's a
2: navy man. He loads well, up the boat. I know. But did you, did you see me doing this? I was in mid. He always go ahead. Like, hey, I know, Scott, but I mean, me I you back up the tractor.
1: Way. That's what you do. All right, I'm going back up the
2: tractor, Scott. All
1: right. All right, Weiss. To you, Andre. Uh, bought Uber at $29.80. Should I add here?
3: It's a great trade. I actually added to it last week a little bit. And um, look, I mean, it, it, it's basically a monopoly. I mean, you've got Lyft there. They're trying to figure it out. But Uber, you know, I took a cab, Scott, the other day in the city. It was 50 bucks. go midtown. Uber is cheaper than that. So, look, I think that that the CEO has been phenomenal. He's done everything he said it he isn't, would do. But
1: anyway. Yeah. Nice, nice. It isn't cheaper.
3: Yeah, well, uh, I hate to break it to you. I'm pitching something here, Scott. I'm pitching something. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, okay. Pretty expensive. That's inflation for you, and that's why the Fed's going to keep going, Scott. All right. But anyway, I like it. I don't think there's anything worth buying here. I only think you have another 15% upside, but your downside's minimal. All right, we'll take a quickie. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
1: All right, we're back. I want to show you Apple because we told you at the top of the program and you probably already know anyway. Above $3 trillion in market cap, second time ever. It's never closed above that level, so we'll be watching that for the remainder of the afternoon. Also initiated today to buy a city Street high price target brand of 240. What do we think for the second half for AAPL?
5: We have status quo. Apple will continue to gain share. I mean, Tim Cook executes, the company's very dependable. Like you said earlier, lots of cash flow, never have surprises in earnings. And so I think it will just continue to chug along and be a favorite stock in every ETF and every American's portfolio.
2: All right,
1: Jimmy, you own it too, yeah?
2: I do, you know, and I sometimes feel very defensive because I'm underweight, but I do still own 4% of Apple. I mean, I'm happy with it. Let it let it keep growing. I'm fine.
1: Would you add to it?
2: I would not add to it. I would not add to it. This is our earlier discussion. I think at this point, everybody knows I'm, I'm more favorable towards the cyclicals and to Liz's small caps for that matter than large cap tech trading at 30 plus times earnings.
1: All right, let me remind you as well. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. Uh, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time today. We have the Wharton Schools' Jeremy Siegel. He is going to get you set up for the second half, and we can't wait to speak with him on this final trading day of June. Gene Munster as well on that Apple $3 trillion market cap. We'll see if it uh, can close, as I said, above that for the first time ever. Cameron Dawson uh, will join us too. So we'll see you all in a couple hours from now. Steve Weiss, what's your final trade?
3: I'm going to go with Jacobs. Uh, this is a long-term trade. This is an Apple where it's going to be a $3 trillion market cap. And go to four trillion by next week. This is just nice, steady trade. Jimmy's going to buy this eventually when it's up another thirty <laughs> percent. All right, Brand, what do you have?
5: Uh, visa. Two reasons: people are going to continue to swipe. Uh, visa also got added to the XLF. Earnings for financials kick off in the next two weeks, and they continue to. At least tip could Continue to rally over the next two weeks, and Visa's 8% holding within XLF. All
2: right. Farmer Jim. Uh, Transocean, I've told you i will be talking about this more this year. Okay. This is your highest beta way to play oil. All right. And Liz.
4: Small caps, profitable ones, and this hits on the bull and the bear thesis macro-wise. Right. They haven't kept up, but they could if it is a new bull market. Good
1: stuff, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.